Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm Gordon Glenister, and in this edition, we'll be looking at how talent work with brands and having a chat with the CEO of Talent Village, William Sulia. I'll also be talking to the head of global fan engagement at Chelsea Football Club, Adam Field. But before we start, I wanted to remind our listeners of some great influencer case studies that we've got on the BCMA website. So if you're an influencer or content creator, it's really important to showcase your work and what part you've played in the effectiveness of that campaign. So don't forget, it's www.thebcma.info. So first I caught up in London with William Sulier, the founder and CEO of Talent Village a top creative influencer platform representing some 7,000 top professional models, actors, athletes and artists. So I started by asking him how he got into the industry. So I guess going back a few years, uh, I used to work as a brand manager uh, at LVMH on the Wine and Spirits division. Um, It was very early days for all things digital. And as we all know, the luxury space is always a late adopter of uh, these new things. Uh, While I was there, one of my missions was really to actually uh, accompany the group and especially uh, the wine spirit sector towards a shift which was mobile first. Uh, During that time, I really understood the value of working with bloggers, with media owners, and eventually with influencers. On, on the sides, while I was studying, I also uh, ran a model lounge. Uh, so essentially, in partnership with the W Hotel in London, uh, we would host uh, agency signs models who were able to regroup between castings and jobs, benefit from complimentary food and beverage, access to gym, spa, and obviously the opportunity to connect amongst each other. That little community grew quite quickly as the talent agencies supported us in our endeavors and sent their models to us. Uh, Before we knew it, we actually had several brands that were knocking on our doors asking how they could get involved in this little influential space that we had created, you know, through different sponsorship opportunities. And I think we began with a few brand content, you know, activations, creating videos. But ultimately, the same thing came back again and again. And that was, how do we get the talent to actually promote that content? I guess with my background in uh, digital marketing, we really had to imagine a way to automate the mechanic of individuals creating content, submitting it to a brand for approval, and then post-publication analyzing the results of all of this. I think the key word here is really control. Up until then, there was no real way for a brand to really um, know what's go- what was going to be put on social. And, you know, enabling brands to actually do this at scale we today run campaigns with over a hundred influencers at a time Uh, it can be very tedious so having that workflow is critical now on the other side you obviously need to have a certain expertise when it comes to media 
to ideation to strategizing and planning out that content so that you really get the best bang for buck. We always look to pair influencers that have, yes, a relevant audience for a brand, but we also look at what their actual values are. So one of the USPs that we have at Talent Village is really to um, have our in-house talent division. And what they do is really understand what makes each individual special. What is their story? What is their brand as an individual? And it's really aligning those values with a brand's DNA on top of simply their audience demographics that's going to help us achieve true brand impact. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the fact that an influencer um, profile starts at 30,000 followers. I would almost argue that true talent isn't necessarily defined with a number. When you're looking at talent, what you really want to achieve is credibility in a space. But going further than that, it's also about how influential I am to the people that follow me, regardless of the size of that audience, if that makes sense. So how do you identify relevant talent for your clients? I think that's really important. That's one of the uh, key factors in a successful campaign, the identification of the talent. So I think that really starts with a very tough vetting process. And, you know, the best practice in this industry should always start with looking at the credibility of audiences, removing any fraudulent following, looking at the use of bots, looking at engagement rates that might be below 1%, something that uh, we always start our research with. Going beyond that, for us, it's very important to work only with business profiles. When an influencer switches to a business profile, they actually discover what their insights are, which enables them to actually progress as a result. It also gives us, as Talent Village, access to a number of data points that will help actually identify the right influencer for the right brand. Once we've gone through those hurdles, obviously the idea will be to really identify the talent that already has a natural affinity for the brand in question. The way our software works is that the talent has to actually go to the brand and not the other way around. That's really, again, to ensure that there is an authentic, positive emotion about this brand between the influencer and that client. Do you ever worry about the privacy issues in your line of business and, and how much power the big social platforms have with consumers? That's definitely an issue that's always on our minds. You know, working exclusively with Facebook and Instagram, we've seen a lot of changes recently and developing our own software, you know, has been quite challenging keeping up with all of the changes that they've implemented over the last few months. So I think, you know, a key point here around privacy is really what Facebook has just announced, removing the likes from Instagram posts. So arguably... Uh, that could be to really put the focus on the quality of the content, which I believe is a great thing. Now, yet again, Facebook is really showing us that they are the masters and that if they want to hide a data point that they were showing us previously, they can do so in a heartbeat. At the end of the day, every single member of the Instagram platform contributes to these likes. And in my opinion, it should be open source uh, data to actually access the number of people that um, have engaged with a piece of content. So 
you know, without going down the route of Cambridge Analytica all over again, I do think that it's something that should be in the hands of the consumers rather than the platform itself. How can we shine a spotlight on those that are doing great work? That's a very interesting question, Gordon, and definitely uh, I think it's very important that we are uh, the promoters of best practice. As a player of this industry, it is one of our duties to encourage best practice in this space, and it's one of the reasons that you know we are a proud member of the BCMA today. To go back to your question, I think... The key piece of advice I would give to anyone looking to enter this game from a creator perspective is not to do so just to become famous or to become a personality on Instagram. Cultivate an expertise, a skill set that you have, and then use that platform to actually tell your story to the greater public. And that is how you will achieve real engagements and real following from people that actually like what you're doing on a daily basis. What we see too many profiles of nowadays are, as you mentioned, young, good-looking girls that are posting images of themselves at the beach, at parties, with their friends, but with no real substance behind it, with no real story to tell and no credibility in any field. And that's what I believe um, is driving the influencer marketing sphere to the bottom today. Uh, we really need to shine a spotlight on individuals who are actually skilled and creating something new on a daily basis. How do you manage your talent's welfare, your personal welfare? I'm quite interested to know. I mean, obviously, one of the things that the BCMA has done of late is to launch this mentoring program. And we also work quite closely with NABS, the National Advertising Benevolent Society, uh, with their confidential helpline. H how do you uh, get around when things go wrong? One of the first things that we do at Talent Village, being a community before anything else, is really provide our talent with a range of perks that they can take advantage of across the different cities that we're live in. And that can go from a healthy meal in one of our partner venues to a spinning class uh, in a gym to even a hotel stay in one of our partner hotels. Providing that extra support for us is really key. Uh, but going beyond that, we are today installing new workshops to help our talents actually upskill themselves when it comes to content creation. It is true that a lot of talent does great things on a daily basis, but do not necessarily have the training to create long-form video, for example, something that we are pushing more and more when it comes to IGTV. What I do believe is that professional talent is going to shine more and more, and that the likes of reality TV influencers or regular bloggers who have less substance are going to lose that edge, unfortunately. It will be more and more dictated by sales and conversions, although some of the big platforms are making that hard for us. But ultimately, it will all be about the quality of that content and how you're able to cut through the clutter that we see today on social media. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Many sporting brands now use influencer marketing as a vehicle to reach out to their fan base. So I'm delighted to have here as my very special guest today, Adam Field. And Adam is the global head of fan engagement at Chelsea Football Club. That's one hell of a title, Adam. I know. 
lot to live up to. So tell us a little bit more about what you do at uh, Chelsea. It's a new team that was formed when I joined about two years ago. And the idea was to start thinking about how we grow our fan base outside of traditional uh, kind of fan models that most football clubs have. Um, so the team that I kind of built from, from kind of the ground up, we looked at how we can serve our fan base that are based in the UK and they come to Stamford Bridge every week. And then how do we then start obsessing fan groups? So when we talk about fan groups, we talk about our supporter clubs. So every every football club have overseas clusters of fans that come together to watch games and want to feel part of the club. And we call those supporters supporter clubs. Um, and so, so I've got a team that really focus on how do we better grow that network of our global audience through that model. And then um, we look at how do we then go beyond the world of football to grow our audiences in A, new markets, and B, via different verticals um, who maybe traditionally wouldn't engage with us as a football club. So we look at the world of gaming, the world of health and fitness, fashion, technology, travel. So verticals that we know quite confidently that football fans have also an, an interest in. And, and that's where we look at trying to find authentic growth as a club and in a world where most of the players at the club also have quite a big passion points around those verticals we can then start trying to be authentic talking you know talking into those uh, platforms and those audiences to try and bring them in to have an affinity with Chelsea even if it's not through the 90 minutes on the pitch so my team is is really set up around that mentality so i look after kind of the brand marketing and our brand marketing is really there to to tell those stories and to and to try and help create a more holistic um kind of passion around the club and then all of those other little groups that i talked about and then countries you know i'm i've got a team that's dedicated really for how we grow our audiences across asia and markets you know we have a loan over five million fans on um, Chinese social media platforms wow. and and that audience is really engaged and we engage with them through mostly through content um, that kind of matches the expectations of either the audience behaviors and motivations or the platforms themselves but yeah we we have a team I've got a team based in Singapore and uh, we have a, a kind of a few agency uh, partners that help us kind of con- kind of look at the continued growth and, and engagement of our fan base there. When you set about this journey, what, what did you find were some of the, the challenges? What did you find that was was really difficult in trying to expand this fan base? There were different motivators and, and behaviours in fans or kind of consumers around the world that drive their um, kind of belonging to any kind of football club. And we had to try and really tap into what are those motivations and attitudes and then how do we do a better job of playing into the strengths of those in order to try and kind of grow that fan base so if you look at asia as an example most fans support at least four different clubs so they're not loyal in Mm. in any one different team they might have teams multiple teams that are either from various european leagues or sometimes in the same league and so you have a huge fight on your hands to try and make sure that your club is one of those four. Um, at the same time, as you have an opportunity to try and become the f- one of the four of other fans yeah, uh, that you haven't yet in- yeah. talked to. So trying to un- unlock 
the ways that we can play into the strengths of the of the different audiences is is massive and and that differs hugely from market to market and that's probably been um the biggest challenge but then the other big challenge is that every sports team in the world today is trying to do what we're doing so everyone has got the appetite to play in different spaces they're not simply sticking to their own sport so if you look at even an example when the nba come to london and they they do their exhibition games you'll find that most other sporting verticals will try and integrate their players into the nba experience with jersey swaps getting the players to come down to the training grounds um, and this is really happening across most football clubs but it's also now happening across just other sports like boxing mm. and mma and 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 so everyone's it's a monopoly everyone's trying to play in the space and then it's just trying to find the right angle to ensure that what you do has a bigger voice than anyone else. So obviously, because this is a, an influencer podcast, we're particularly interested in how you have uh, engaged influencers. Uh, and you've got, I think, a particular story to tell around that. We did some work with Joe Wicks, the, the body coach. That came about because Joe's brother, Nicky, had reached out to me through LinkedIn and actually had just asked if Joe could come down to the training ground to to shoot some content because he'd been asked to play in Soccer Aid, which is um, ITV and UNICEF's big football exhibition game that they do um, kind of every year. And, you know, it, through the messages that went back and forth between me and Nicky, it transpired that they are Chelsea fans and, and Joe's family have had season tickets at Stamford Bridge for a long time. <laughs> And so I kind of said to I said to Nikki, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. We'll we'll get Joe down to Cobham, but why don't you come in with Joe and we'll have lunch, and we'll just talk about kind of what you guys are up to. I can tell you about what my team are up to and what we're looking to achieve, and uh, kind of take it from there. So he, he he said that was amazing. They live in Richmond, so it's very close by. So they literally the next week they came in. We gave them like a private tour around the stadium. We took them onto the center of the pitch. We then had on the big screen, we'd played a video from um, Eden Hazard welcoming Joe to Stamford Bridge. Wow, that's, that's uh, impressive. <laughs> yeah, so we, and those things are quite easy for us to pull off when we when we really truly believe in potential partnerships. Yeah. Um, and so we then had lunch and over lunch, we, we just discussed the fact that, you know, J- Joe was looking to do more live experiences um, and he was trying to move his brand from being a social uh, platform to being something that was a bit more experiential and more uh, live. I also talked to him about the fact that we were looking to develop relationships with people. And we didn't even use the word influencers. We just talked about building relationships with people that 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 sat in those verticals that I referenced earlier to help us talk into new audiences. So we talked about health and fitness and, and sports and gaming, et cetera. And, and I said, so I'm looking to do that. And he said, well, I'm looking to do live experiences. So I said, why don't we do something that's mutually beneficial? And over, over lunch, we literally came up with the idea of doing a live day's workout at Stamford Bridge for a couple of thousand fans. We, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll book out the pitch. We'll create the production of it. We'll do a, a, kind, of a, a social, a kind of a social rollout on announcing the, the partnership announcing the event and getting people to sign up um we'll we'll manage the logistics uh, you know of everything uh, joe said he would bring down some of his influential uh, kind of fitness friends to help do 
some warm-ups and to join him on stage. We then got Marvin Humes, who's also a massive Chelsea fan, to come and provide um, live music. And we said we would we would create like a, the first ever kind of football pitch hit on the pitch. <laughs> and that, that's what we called it. And that's what we called it. We called the event hit on the pitch. And so six, between that lunch and six weeks later, the event took place. That's incredible, really, considering yeah. it's only six weeks. Yeah, because, I mean, because we, we walked away from the meeting and there was there was a couple of things that just that, that made a lot of sense. The yeah. first one is Joe's great and he's a, and he's an, a really passionate guy about what he does and he's authentic, mm. which we loved. Mm. He's a Chelsea fan and his family are massive Chelsea fans. So there was an authentic relationship that we had with the fact that he supports the club. It was an area, it was a vertical that we had identified in our strategy as, a, as an opportunity to grow our fan base. And it was a way for us to develop a relationship without having to use money to pay for someone to do something. We could actually have a value exchange, which I, which I believed always was more powerful than signing a check that says, you know, for this fee, you promised to do this post. It was, it felt like it was a richer way of him buying tr- in trust in us and us buying trust in him. So yeah, we we love it as a one-off. Um, we we did talk about doing it again. Those kind of conversations then come down to the stage of um, each each part of that relationship, the stage that they're at in terms of their long-term strategy. So um, you know, Joe's. Joe, I don't know if you follow Joe much on social, but he's he's on a huge crusade at the moment around helping schools and 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 kids becoming healthier and more active. And that's a really big focus for him at the moment, along with some of the other partnerships he's got. And we're at the moment going quite big on our growth in the US um, and, and Asia. So we are we are in constant dialogue. Um, and Joe and I and my team and Joe talk all the time, as well as his brother. So we have a great relationship, which is amazing because, you know, this wasn't just a one-off and it died. It was we will constantly look to engage with Joe. Um, and more people like Joe in the future. But as we look to the future, we are looking at where we can do things in the US and where we can start becoming, um, taking the learnings that we did with Joe and and using some of that to fuel bigger opportunities that we think could could uh, materialize in, in China and the US. So we're, um, we're about to go um, live with some activity in India, actually, um, and we've identified some kind of long-term ambitions we have in that market and a lot of that is around the network of influencers that are also chelsea fans that we will start reaching out to Mm. to find opportunities that we can create kind of meaningful collaborations that help us grow in the market but we will also look at like i said the us and china as key opportunities to develop our fan base growth do you think there are other tips that that sporting brands can can learn from your experience you know um, and, and working with agencies yeah i mean for, for for sports brands in general i think there will always be influencers and advocates of of their teams or their products and i think you always need to start from that point which is who are the people that either use your product or that are supporters or or fans of your product or your business and try and unearth who they are and, and and trying to unearth more about them as individuals or as entities to try and unlock. And that's what it is. I mean, again, the lunch, the, the event happened that we did with Joe through exploring ideas over a lunch. It wasn't that we had a brief, we sent it out to a bunch of agencies and 
Joe was the name that we picked because of any, you know, you know anything that we had uh, highlighted. It was it was because we developed a relationship um, quite quickly, but quite openly and transparently. And I think clubs and brands in the sports world need to start with their foundation, which is who is our who is our currently most influential fan base for whatever reason that might be, and then what are the potential opportunities that could become. Uh, you know, available based on those kind of low-hanging fruits to, you know, to, to a certain extent. But I, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not a massive fan of the idea that you would go to an, a kind of an influencer agency with a brief and say, find me five people who tick these boxes, because in the world of sports and entertainment, you almost likely have those there. You just need to do a bit of work you know finding them and unearthing them if they don't already come to you first influence the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry so don't forget to register for these influencer and marketing events all of which can be found on the bcma website two of which coming up is the influencer marketing show on the 22nd and 23rd of october in london and the influencer marketing conference on the 5th of november also in london So that's it for this edition of Influence. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as ever, we would welcome your feedback. Don't forget to keep an eye on the BCMA website for all the latest influencer marketing news. And until next time from me, Gordon Glenister, thanks for listening and goodbye. (music) 